Today's guest died on a plane and lives to tell the tale. She is the survivor of domestic violence and she's been featured on Oprah, Forbes, PBS, Newsweek, and countless other media outlets as an initiator to disrupt the complacency around domestic abuse. What could money have to do with domestic abuse? Here to share her insights is founder and CEO of Safe and Harm's Way, Carolyn Markle Hammond. Carolyn, thank you so much for being here. I am honored, Faith. Thank you for the invitation to come. So let's give our audience um, an idea of what is typically profiled for an abuse victim. And I do want to hear your thoughts on you know, what a victim mentality is, what mm -hmm. a survivor mentality is. Sure. The, the biggest indicator of future violence to come is financial abuse. Financial abuse in a relationship starts off looking a lot like love. And it sounds a lot like, oh, sweet pea. I'm going to take care of the finances for you. You're so busy. Let me take control of the bank accounts and we'll keep everything separate and I'll just give you money and put it every week in the account so you don't have to worry about anything. And you know what? I'm going to make sure that any business we have for tax purposes, well, we're going to keep that in my name so that you don't have to suffer the tax burden. So it sounds like love, but what it is is an indicator that slowly and systemically a person's going to be kept from their money, kept from accessing their money, and kept from being able to save anything in their own name. It's also the biggest indicator of the future emotional, physical, and verbal violence that accompanies a domestic violence situation. Financial abuse or some kind of economical control with typical, the typical, I say typical, physical, domestic abuse? Exactly. And by that time that those components start, there is no money to be had. So if someone was going to try to plan an escape, they're tied to that person for every financial resource they have. Or worse yet, they've even stepped back from their own career. Because you know what, if you just stayed home more and took care of the kids or took care of the house, that would allow me to thrive in my career. And so even the, the aspect of giving up partial control of their own career allows further control and makes it really impossible for someone to escape a violent situation. This is the skin crawling thing about it because it sounds, uh, well, in this context, it sounds a little creepy, mm -hmm. but it sounds so normal. These, yes. Those conversations are so normal and it's very normal to have one spouse overseeing the finances anyways. Exactly. And that's really hard. One thing I'd love for people, and right now I'm using the male and female pronouns to describe this, mm -hmm. but I also realize that this kind of financial control and abuse within a relationship can happen to men. It can happen to people who are fluid in their gender. All people it can affect, not just women. Mm -hmm. But that's the part of it sounding so much like love that's hard to argue against. But what I'm going to challenge people, anyone listening, anybody who knows somebody that they fear, is that relationship a little weird? To really pay attention to any time the phrase, well, it's just me. It's, I don't like how this is going, but it's just me. Try this test. You know what? I, I agree that maybe we should have financial um, separate accounts, but for the sake of me feeling healthy in this relationship, we need a joint account that I can access all information mm. and see how the person responds. If the person responds with, oh, you're just manipulative, you're just trying to control me, or, you know, how dare you? You know, trust me? 
that's the biggest sign mm -hmm. that your instinct and your gut is on target and that that person is actually going to be withholding money from you in the situations as your relationship evolves. Oh man, and you know, you, you mentioned about instinct. Mm -hmm. And I think a, a lot of times what we see in abuse cases, that instinct is being quieted often. Yes. So for people who might be questioning, am I experiencing abuse uh, or, or trying to second guess that and fighting against that instinct? Uh, a lot of times, what do you see? What kind of language are they using to talk to themselves about this? Talk it's themselves always, out of it. Yeah, it's always done from the standpoint of, you know what, if I could just take a joke better, then our relationship would be different. Mm. If I could just communicate better with this person, he or she would see my point of view. If I could just invest better in the relationship, then things would go back to how they were in the beginning. Because abuse doesn't start off as abuse. Abuse starts off looking a lot like love. So if they internalize, if this is something I could control, then that would get better. That's the part where you need to listen to your gut. That's the part where a person needs to say, if what's happening in this relationship makes me feel sad or worried, makes me live in fear, makes me wonder if someone's lying to me or makes me feel pain, that's not a good relationship. And oftentimes, people living in that will not classify themselves as being abused or mm -hmm. in a domestic violence situation, but they sure could tell you the feelings that go along with that relationship. And let's talk about a typical or a, a profile of an abuse victim. Um, are they undereducated? Are they meek? Right, no. I, I have traveled the world getting to train women and men on how to, how to navigate domestic violence and to the person. They are highly intelligent, empathetic. They do not quit and they always win, which are the exact reasons why people stay in that relationship. Because when you are fiercely intelligent, you can figure out a solution. When you're knocking it out of the park at work, why can't you bring that same skill home? Mm. So it makes people question themselves. I used to refer to my relationship as, he's just my toughest customer. Oh my. He's just my toughest customer. Meanwhile, once I crafted my escape plan, I have two master's degrees. I was making close to $200,000 a year, and I was living in my car because he had cut me off financially. He had secret accounts. I had given up job promotions because, boy, would he just really miss me if I traveled more? And if, he really, if I really wanted to build our relationship, then I should stay closer to home. So all of that financial abuse was happening around me as a highly educated, compensated person. I am not abnormal in that. The stereotype that abuse only happens to people who are uneducated and maybe live on the wrong side of town, complete falsehood. It happens to the majority of men and women who are fiercely intelligent, highly empathetic. They don't quit and they and, always win. And what about them speaking up for themselves? I, it seems to me that a lot of times people profile abuse victims as somebody who they wouldn't know how to speak up for themselves. So abuse couldn't happen to me because I always speak my mind. Right. I'll take it one step further. Abuse couldn't happen to me because he's never hit me. Mm. That, that doesn't matter. The, the egregiousness with which with someone talks to you, um, the, the way that 
over the course of time, people stop speaking up. It's all a component of it. So eventually, at some point, in order to keep the peace for you, your children, and your pets, a person will stop speaking up, but still occasionally do it so they can tell themselves, well, I'm, I'm advocating for myself, which is true. You mm -hmm. are in those little points, but you've left so much of your, your real self behind in that relationship. You've left so much in order to keep the peace, and you've deflected from what's actually happening. So I hear women say, well, he's never hurt me. I mean, but he, he has choked me enough that I've passed out. Oh. And that's become normalized because that starts to be the new normal in a relationship. And for outsiders, that can seem extremely shocking. Mm -hmm. If anybody laid their hands on your neck, surely you would know you're yes. being abused. Surely you would know this is violence. But that's not really how it works, right? I, our brain is a powerful tool. And so there's a lot that happens, a slow roll, that frog boiling yes. um, it, from lukewarm water to uh, boiling water. You know, the, the frog just doesn't know. Exactly. Uh, so can you tell us more about that? I can. And I one of the components that I have, that I work with and I've, I've created is to actually teach friends, family, and coworkers how to respond when someone says they're being abused or when they witness something out in public that seems a little off or really actually blatant. If you think about it, just as a, a stranger or a friend, let's say your best friend, looks at the outside of a relationship and says, oh my gosh, and again, I'm using the male and female pronouns here, he's always been great to me, he's always been nice to me. It's exactly what's going on at home. Well, there are those occasions when he's really great with me. Mm -hmm. I surely am not being abused because these other times he's so loving and he takes me on trips and he cares for our kids. And you start to negate all the bad things. And that's exactly why people stay. And from the other end, that's exactly why people have a hard time believing that someone is being abused. Because to the outside world, the abuser puts on a really good front to he'd craft never a perfect heard, facade. He'd never heard a fly. Exactly, exactly. One of the great things that I think is vital for people to understand is if someone musters up enough courage to say, this is happening to me at home, the other person, your friend, a coworker, needs to start by believing, needs to say, I believe what you're telling me, and I'm sure that took you a lot of courage to say, I don't know all the resources, but I'm a friend that you can trust and confide in. On the reverse side, let's say you're out at a restaurant and, and the person says, you need to shut your mouth in front of everybody. You don't have to necessarily call out the person who used those words, but you can loop around to your friend and say, I saw what happened at dinner and I want you to know, I don't think that's okay but I love and support whatever decision you need to make. And I need you to know that I'm a safe person for you to come to whenever you need. And that creates a, you as a safe space and starts to build a community who's, for the person who's on the receiving end of those nasty words. Because if someone's willing to say that in public, what goes on at home? True. Now, victims though may not feel like they can uh, accept that kind of, mm -hmm. even well-meaning yes. um, offers of encouragement, 
or maybe a friend might say something that would try to guide them right. into leaving, it might not be well received. Right. That's the part where when I talk to people and I always say it is the easiest and the hardest thing to do. Because what a person, what you would want to do is say to your friend, I'm going to help you, help you craft a plan to escape. And that's mm -hmm. not what happens. Because from the other side, you have an abuser who's saying to their target, oh, sweet pea, you love me better than anybody can. I've had a horrible childhood. No one has ever understood me, but you do. So they've crafted this story that when another person enters the dynamic of a relationship because they've witnessed really nasty behavior, it puts the per person who's trying to survive in the place of instantly defending. Well, you don't understand him. Mm -hmm. He's had a really, really hard life. I love him and I'm helping him. So if as a friend you come to them, that's what you're going to get back. You're going to get an instant defense of the person issuing the, the abuse. But if you approach it with, I am here for you. I just think I, I saw that. I'm sure that that probably hurt your feelings. I just want to know you to know how much I love you. And you know what I love about you? I love your smile. I love how when you walk into a room, you instantly connect with people. If you can give specific examples to the person you're talking to about what makes them incredible, you start to build them up from the inside out. It doesn't wow. take magic. It doesn't take this big majestic effort. It takes slow, consistent reach out, text, hey, I thought of you today. I thought of that time when we went to that restaurant and laughed so hard. Do you remember how hard we laughed? You're a great friend. <laughs> the end. You just need to soul fuel the person on the receiving end until they can start to believe. There's great brain science that says if you start to, to work on that part of the brain that issues confidence, then that part starts to fire again and grow when it's been dimmed by a person who has consistently told them, A, I love you, and B, how dare you? You are a horrible person. I need you to step up your game. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. And, I, and another thing that uh, oftentimes people that are on the outside of this world that you're so infiltrated in is uh, they think, why didn't she just leave? Mm -hmm. But isn't leaving sometimes mm -hmm. the more dangerous part about domestic abuse? It is. It's really serious. The first three months of someone leaving, they have a 75% increased chance of being killed. If there are guns in the home, that statistic goes up to 500%. Increased chance of being killed. People need a slow exodus and they need to work with experts to craft that escape plan. It can be something that's drawn out. It took me, for example, 10 days to craft the escape plan and seven months to implement. It doesn't have to be a grab your bag and flee in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. but you have to be strategic. You have to work with smart people to create that plan. And then you have to execute that plan without telling your partner the details. Because people tend to get to this point where they're ready to craft an escape and they've worked really hard to do it and then think, you know what, if I just tell this person how much I've worked to try to leave and I tell them this time, this is it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this if you don't change. All you've done is given your playbook to the person issuing abuse. And that makes them much, much smarter. And if you stay, harder to be able to back out of that relationship. So what kinds of things can 
people start putting in place then to have the kind of independence that they need or at least an awareness? You know, you, you talked at the very beginning about um, having a, uh, conversations about finances. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things could they put in place where we don't want everyone to live in this place of fear or mistrust, mm -hmm. uh, but the language around it about independence, what kinds of things are you guiding people to start thinking about? I think it's really important to start thinking about the dynamics of the relationship and how that's not, not only impacting you, but impacting your children and impacting your pets. Because there's a very great science that says anybody who witnesses abuse, it is the same as if they have experienced it themselves. So that oh. factors into your kids. 90% of the time, abusers also maim, injure, or kill the family pet. So it's not just you, it's everybody in your household. So as you start to think about the language that people can build, it has to be the front of a multi-pronged decision. It has to be having conversations with your partner that say, you know what, I'm going to start taking the kids to my mom's house every Wednesday. And every Wednesday, that's where you have built-in time to start to reach out to people, safeinharmsway.org, find resources, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, find resources, domesticshelters.org, find resources. You take those moments to find the smart people so that you can continue to have the conversations. And you have to find trusted people within your circle that you know will not let your plans come to light to the person you're actually trying to work against. Not against, but away from, mm -hmm. maybe better said. So when you do that, when you start to put little plans in place, your confidence grows, you become more aware of situations, you're starting, gonna start to see the different dynamics of abuse will become like a light bulb going off. Oh, hey, that, and that, and that. And it, the important thing to know is you don't need to have all the answers, you just need to take one tiny, immediate and actionable step in the direction of the life you want to create. Mm. And you can do that because the same skills that you brought to the relationship are the same skills of that intelligence and that commitment to people and that connection ability that will bring you out of the relationship and into the next life. But those are the components that you have to bring into your own head and in the dialogue that starts to pull away from the tentacles that you've been surrounded with. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I do love that you mentioned tiny mm -hmm. steps. You know, I think a lot of times we think that we have this long list, okay, if I'm going to do this, and then you build a, an enormous to-do list of all the things you need to accomplish that each have its own subset of yes. things to do. And that's completely overwhelming. I like the idea of something tiny um, and preparing yes. taking your time with that. Yeah. I, I'd love to give three immediate things yes, that people please. can do. That's what I was gonna ask the first, for. Yeah, the first thing, write down your important phone numbers. Mm. Nobody knows anybody's cell phone anymore. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah, you don't. So, I mean, I could tell you my daughter's because mm -hmm. she's been around longest. <laughs> my son's, they're speed dial three and four. <laughs> so write down your phone numbers of the people that you need to, to get in contact with. Mm -hmm. Worked with so many survivors whose phones have been crushed mm. and they're in the hospital and they don't even know how to reach anybody in their system and your phone's down, so you can't get on Facebook Messenger, and you can't do anything, but you could pick up the old school phone at your bedside and make a phone call. Mm -hmm. Write down the phone numbers of the people that matter to you most. The second thing to do is if you have any money that you can get your hands on, is to leave it with friends. 
and ask them to keep it for you so that it can't be found anyplace else. Now these have to be friends that you really feel in your heart are not gonna out you that what you're doing. But if you can start to stockpile a little bit of money. And the third thing is to just to go online and do a Google search of what in your state you can have legal access to based on if you do have a joint checking account or what you can start to do if you trust your financial advisor or you seek out a financial advisor and divulge to them what's happening has them to help you craft that escape plan financially so that you're not left with the burden because over the course of a lifetime someone a woman who's been abused it will cost one hundred and three thousand dollars for them to navigate getting away for a man it's twenty three thousand dollars and that's a lot of money that's so astounding if, so if you don't take the precautions and the planning up front and over the long haul de decision then you are setting yourself at a big disadvantage and you're already starting at a disadvantage. But I wanna say there is hope. You can do these things in small little steps that protect you, your children, and your pets. It is able to be accomplished in a slow, methodical way that keeps you safe when you're with the right people and there are many people willing to help. Thank you so much for your insight and your perspective. This was very enlightening. I appreciate the opportunity because I think it's a huge message to send to people that there is hope when they feel so little hope and that it doesn't have to be this ginormous execution. It's a slow, tiny step-by-step -step process that will lead to their, self, their health and their safety. Thank you for bringing that hope. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here.